Live from Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and in truth. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We're going to take a casual uh, swing at the program tonight, just talk about a few concepts. After all, it is voting night here in America, November 6th. 2018, big important things on the ballot like will Utah allow for marijuana legalization to some extent or not? That is a question. Uh, among other things, Mitt Romney is uh, running, I think, for something, etc., etc. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we uh, come to you. We do want to know you. And amidst all the differences of opinion and everything else, we just want to. Uh, uh, prepare ourselves uh, here for a life there. And uh, so we just pray for our volunteers and we pray for the program and people who are seeking that this will open up thought and we can make improvements on our walk. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, take a look. Seth, do you have a, a clip ready? Uh, not yours. So nothing for talking to Mormons? All right, well, I was going to pitch uh, talking to Mormons, but uh, we'll do that next week. Last week, uh, we started, we hit the starting gun, and we announced that we're working behind the scenes on what we're calling a new transversion of the apostolic record, uh, uh, which means another New Testament in what I think is erroneous uh, nomenclature. But people generally have a hard time hearing the first go around. So I've had a couple of questions and comments, some really quick reiteration on the subject. This is a new transversion of what we are calling the apostolic record. It does not include the Old Testament. So it's only the New Testament, what people call the New Testament. Uh, what will make it unique is that it will be grayscaled. And that means that uh, we're going to use black, dark uh, gray and light gray to help explain what is applicable, what was uh, from that age, and what is no more. And some have said that I am full of hubris. That's another word for pride uh, to attempt this. And I just want to say I, I rely wholly on God to be able to get this thing done. And I know he'll get it done and he'll do it right. And so the, the, there's really no hubris on my part. I just feel like it's something I, I can do and will do and he'll help. So last week, some were apparently trying to say that, you know, I'm trying to be another Joseph Smith because he created the new uh, translation of the inspired version and all that stuff. And I'm just doing my best. And let's just download it now. I'm, I'm involved in it. We kickstarted it off. And, uh, but I trust God is in this. And I believe that he will make it a remarkable tool for people someday who are seekers of truth. You see, we face a huge problem today that um, I'm not sure we have faced ever before in this world the way it's going now. I know there has always been antagonism toward the faith, but we face a really big, big problem. And I am hoping that this will contribute to helping solve that problem. What is it? On Facebook, I saw a photo uh, today and it literally caused me to get angry over something that has to do with the faith that I usually get perturbed and irritated, but this made me mad. I literally was angry and I immediately found out who was behind it and who, who they are and what they're about. And what it was, was it was a photograph of a guy walking down the street 
in a parade. I'm assuming it's modern day. He looked like it was modern day, dressed in our clothes and styles of today. And it, the sign said, if Jesus comes again, if no, if Jesus returns, let's kill him again. That's what it said. If Jesus returns, let's kill him again. I have never had something hit my heart so viscerally as to that rude, that, that just in your face, in this age of everything being politically correct. And I mean, you can't say this person is that or that person is this. You can't refer to anything relative to race hardly or gender. Or, but Christianity or religion in general, I'm sure, is up for grabs. And some dude can put walk around in the street without anyone complaining. And his sign says, if Jesus comes back, let's kill him again. Now, I realize there's a lot to that. Uh, but how come, what is causing him to do this? What is Jesus to this guy that makes him want to protest through the street and say that while well, I looked at the site. And I would suggest to you that the reason he is this way, the reason he feels this way, is because of us. I don't think, I mean, there may be a couple things Jesus said, like, if you don't believe in me, uh, you won't see the Father, or you, you will die in your sin. There could be a couple statements Jesus said that they could take some uh, umbrage to. But uh, in the end, most of what Jesus represents, even to people who don't believe in him as a true character, they agree that he does represent something that's truly remarkable. So I think the guy holding the sign, I doubt very much it's Jesus himself that has caused him to want to put Jesus to death again. So I started looking through the site and there's a whole laundry list of stuff. And these guys, they want Christianity dead. They want to kill it. And that's their ambition with this site that they're behind. And uh, so I started to just kind of do what we have been doing for the number of years. Our show is going to be a little bit shorter tonight. And I just started thinking, what have we done as followers of Jesus that have caused these people to hate, hate Jesus' Christianity so much? And because we are the ones who have taken a package, called it, this is Jesus land. And we've said, this is what it means. And other people are saying, ah, 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 what is it? What have we done? This plays right into the reason that we are doing a new transversional record because it's going to help get rid of those things that Christianity has done in the name of taking the Bible and using it and interpreting it so bloody badly among the world. And you know, it's still going on. All you gotta do is go on social media and you see the stuff that people are saying in Jesus' name. And when someone who doesn't know him for who he was, what he did, who God is, and all of it put together in context, they read what his followers are saying, some of his followers are saying, and they say, I want him dead. I want anyone who follows him dead, right? 
So I want to run through some things that the old school says, and you'll recognize most of them. And I just want to suggest that we need to change this and that it is not a a matter of changing doctrine or changing uh, anything that the Bible says. All it is doing is saying we have a different perspective of when that occurred, what it meant, and how far we can explain it. So, the first thing, that the heavens and the earth were created in six literal 24-hour periods. That's the first one. All right? We have had yokels and zealous idiots out there using the Bible and demanding that that be believed and taught and that if you don't agree with it, then you're not a Christian, that you're going to go to hell, etc., etc. So did he create everything in six 24-hour periods? God could have created everything in six one-minute periods. He could have created everything in six one-second periods. Why 24 hours? Why you people say 24 hours? I don't know. And because he says the day and the night and the night and the day, you know, there are interpretations of that that slam you down. It could have been six billion year periods. It could have been any of it. So old school, shut up. Please do us a favor. Stop making a mountain out of a molehill. Stop taking the good news and making creation and the timing and all of that part of that good news. Just shut your mouth. When someone says, did God create the universe and the heavens and the earth and everything in it in six 24-hour periods, I would suggest we say, I have no idea. This is what the Bible says. I trust God did what it says, but how to interpret that, I don't know. The next one is that the earth is no older than six. We used to say it was 4,000 years old, by the way. Then we went to five. Then we went to six. Now we're saying 10. (laughs) It's 10,000 years old. Maybe it is in this epoch of time. Maybe from Adam to today it is, but maybe there was a world before that was destroyed. Maybe there's a gap between the uh, Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. There's all sorts of theories, but we don't know how old the earth is. We do not know. Maybe it's a trillion years old. Maybe it's 5,000 years old. We can't tell. You think you can tell if you impute your ideas into it. And if you try to make the Bible a science book and you think that it's going to teach us science perfectly, that's not what it was. I've been reading Michael Heiser's book, uh, Dr. Michael Heiser, and man, he's, he's an expert in the Hebrew language and ancient scripture. He's like, when we try to make the Bible a science book, we have made a grave mistake. Those people who wrote scripture then wrote according to their cosmology. They wrote according to what they knew. God was not telling them, let me tell you how the, what the secrets of the universe are, put it in my Bible. So when we today take it and we try to make it a, 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 a manual for perfect cosmology, it's a mistake. So again, how old could be, uh, who knows? There's a famous Christian uh, scholar, and her name is Dr. Mary Schweitzer, 
And Mary Schweitzer uh, was one of the people who came forward and discovered that dinosaur DNA could be found in soft tissue in dinosaur bones that she says are dated to the billions of years old, right? She stands by it. But she is a complete Christian, Bible-believing Christian, you know? She does not cross those over. She is able to uh, have those coexist with each other. The longer we take that Bible and the more we try to make it conform to scientific advancements and demands in that area, right or wrong, we're making a mistake. That's not the good news. The next thing is humans inherit Adam's original sin. Humans inherit a propensity to sin, but are we paying for the sin of Adam and Eve for partaking of the fruit? Are we paying for that sin? There's nothing in Scripture that says we are. We can have a sin nature. We can have a fallen nature. We might need to be born again, but it doesn't mean we're paying for Adam's sin. That is a long protracted argument when we start talking about it when it comes to sin and God and redemption. I'm not going to go into that. I just want to say the idea of original sin is not necessarily supported by a biblical stance. The next one we've touched on before, that there was a worldwide flood, that there was a wood ark that held all the animals that were on the species of the animals that walked the land on the earth at that time. Some people suggest it contained the dinosaurs too. Some people think that it held the animals that were in Australia and that when the ark landed on Mount Ararat, the marsupials crawled their way back to Australia somehow. All of this stuff. We got Ken Ham out there building models of, of Noah's ark and charging 25 bucks to go in and walk around inside of it. He is a creationist. He is dogmatic on interpreting Genesis literally, literally. And that's another thing we'll get to in a second. The hyper-literalism that people read the Bible with. Hyper-literalism is a danger beyond danger of this beautiful faith that we have. And yet it is what has caused these guys to hate Christianity so much. The illogical hyper-literalism because anyone who says you have to take it absolutely literally, you can show them dozens upon dozens of examples where if they took the Bible literally, they would be shown to be the biggest fools on the face of the earth. Hyperliteralism is not the way to read that book. So when it comes to a worldwide flood, we say, I read the story. I trust the story. I don't know the specifics of the story. I don't know if there was water that was covering Mount Everest, if Everest was around there. I personally happen to believe it was a geographical flood in a basin that you can see then. And I think the animals of that area got on that ark. And I think that was played out. I think that basin contained most of the human or all of the human race at that time. It had spread that far, and that's all that was needed. You want to be dogmatic and zealous? Go ahead. But when you start mixing it and saying you got to believe that to be a Christian, you've got to believe this dogmatically to be saved. You are messing with the good news, and you're messing with the minds of people who don't have the spiritual eyes to understand spiritual things in the first place. But you're throwing Jesus out with... Noah's Ark, or however that worked. Uh, there are people who say the Trinity is all over the Old Testament. That's not true. The Trinity is very, very, very rarely, and you have to read into it to discover the Trinity anywhere in the Old Testament. So that's another dogmatism 
that the people out there who are spouting to make sure that Christians fall in line and they really don't have a right to do that. That hyper-literalism, so harmful to reasoning minds, created so much unreliable, demanded conformity in the name of God. The reason I want to produce this uh, new uh, version is because I think we're going to lose our children. I think my grandsons who are inquisitive and they're reading about science and they're reading about all these things in the world and they're interested in uh, uh, astronomy and astrology and all that stuff that goes with all that junk, they are really interested in that. And the professors today and the college students today and the internet today is going to hammer, hammer, hammer kids who have had stuff hammered into them as being true when we can't substantiate it by the Bible. So be careful that we allow some liberty when it comes to translating what the Bible is saying. That we say we're not sure what it means here or there. That this was a different world and they were writing to show what God has done to save the world once and for all back in the day and and all that. Uh, The Old Testament provides us with our political views. Uh, It's a new scourge, not a new scourge, but it's a scourge in Americana and our politics that we can read the Old Testament and apply the things that they did then, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, death penalty, et cetera, et cetera, and use that as our map for how we do politics. Uh, It was a different age, a different people. Now, am I saying that I don't have the right as a Christian to be for capital punishment? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we don't use the good news as the vehicle to move forward our political ideas. We don't say, well, the Bible says, and then use that as a means to establish uh, law. Uh, Every word in the Bible is inspired of God. That is a flat-out myth. It's a myth. They quote 2 Timothy, where it says, all scripture is uh, inspired. They quote that. But the better Greek reading of that is, all that is scripture is inspired. There are passages upon passages that are not inspired. They're not inspired of God. In the me- what I mean by that is that they don't have, God's word is eternal and doesn't ever go away. It it means that there are passages that don't have that eternality to them. They just don't. If you look, for instance, in Proverbs 22, 23, all scripture is inspired, right? It came directly from the writer of Proverbs 22 and 23, from God's mouth to his ear, to his pen, written, right? Well, you can prove that there is an Egyptian text that 22 and 23 came from. The best Bible scholars know that that Bible writers were willing to take information that they had around them and perhaps being inspired to use that information could incorporate it into the text. We know Paul that when he was writing, he would cite the Greek gods and say, you guys believe this, you believe that. That doesn't mean God was saying, say this, Paul. Paul was the one to write things. Some of it is God. Some of it is doctrinal. Some of it is revealing who God is. And some of it is just narration. And some of it is just describing what's going on. When we go with that epistemus verba, that word perfectness, that hyper-literalism, we become these people that have a wild-eyed look in their eyes. 
and we wander around and we make people hate Jesus. That's not our goal. Our goal is the opposite. We want to share the good news and have people say, I want to know more about that, not less. A real quick one, Gog, Gog, G-O-G, is Russia today. Um, I, we could do a short show on that, but that's a joke. And that's what futurists say. If you read Gog here, and you read what it's translated to in the Hebrew, and then you read what Russian is in its language, hear how closely they sound alike? That's not how it works. You know, just because a word sounds like another word in another language doesn't mean that that's what they're talking about. So when a futurist starts talking about Gog and Magog, uh, check it out because it's not Russia. Um, this is big with me on the show and I talk about it. I know we're going very casual and slow tonight, but the idea that God foreknew elected certain people to heaven, disregarded the rest of the billions of people, and then those all go to an eternal burning hell. When we are yelling that stuff and we are saying that stuff from the pulpit, we have missed a huge bit of information that the Bible gives us relative to hell, afterlife punishment, God, election, what his will is, that none would be lost, that all would be saved, things like that. We, we take bits and pieces. And so when that gets out to the public and they hear that we believe in a God who created most of the world to go to hell and burn forever, he created them for that. Why? Because he didn't elect them to be his. That does not resonate to somebody as goodness. Now, you can theologically say, well, he's a good God and you're evil, so you deserve it. And you can do all those posturings that, that Calvin did. But bottom line, when we put that stuff out to the world, that's old school, misinterpreted biblical uh, stuff. And it looks so damn dumb. Anybody with a mind knows that a, a a human father who is full of sin and error would not do that, who has any, any reasonable love in their heart, let alone God who is love. And yet we will describe him as doing that very thing, which is why I hate Calvinism so much. The other one with hell is that it is literal flames. That is so old school. That's hellfire and damnation, damn it. You're going to burn in literal flames forever and ever and ever, screaming to the top of your lungs, right? The, the thing about it is, is if that was the case biblically, I would support it. I really would. If it proved to be the case biblically, I would teach it. I would say I can't understand it. I don't like it. But that's what it says. But that's not what it says. I've had some engagement with people over the past few months online and they find out, you know, my attitude on things and they either ban me or they attack me. Or, but the, the hell is a big one. You don't believe in hell. I, I believe hell had a place at one time, but I think that's fulfilled and done. 
And I think that we have our own hell. And I don't think God needs to put us into any sort of hell. But that's, that's a side opinion. We know that hell is done away with. And we know that all will be reconciled to God. And that, that idea of hell had a place for a time, but it wasn't the burning place. And it was Augustine who came up with the flesh because he was such a horny devil. He hated his flesh. And so he came up with this idea that the flesh will constantly be consumed in the afterlife in hell. And that's when it got popularized within Roman Catholicism. And then we continue to talk about it today. So when you are a Christian who has the great news, the good news in your life, and you tell somebody who is a nice family down the block, whose dad and mom you know, love each other, and the kids are you know, trying to get through life in a reasonable way, and you tell them, well, you don't follow, you don't accept Jesus, you're all gonna be burning in hell forever and ever and ever. We cause people to hate him. We cause it, people can hate him for the truth, but they can't, they shouldn't hate him for a lie. And this is a lie. And we need to stand up together and stop, right? God can do anything at any time is another one. I don't know if you know the slippery slope that takes you on when it comes to arguing things about God. But if you ever step on that platform and say, God can do anything, you have, you're, all, you're going against scripture, first of all. God cannot do anything. That is not true. This originated with Calvin assigning the word sovereign to God. He said he is sovereign. That's the big key word with the people who follow Calvin. He's a sovereign God. I had a guy uh, message me this morning, three in the morning, say, why do you pick on Calvinists, Sean? You, you brought our family out of Mormonism, but God is sovereign and he can do whatever he wants. That's a quote. I wrote him back and I said, my brother, uh, you're wrong. God cannot do whatever he wants. A sovereign king could do whatever they wanted. They could bang the neighbor. They could bang the cat. They could eat a pig. They could roast the country. A sovereign king can do whatever they want, right? God does whatever he wants. But the question is, what are his wants? God does not want a number of things, and therefore he can't and won't do them. For instance, Scripture says God cannot lie. He can't lie. A sovereign king can lie through his teeth. That's the problem of assigning that term to God. And when the atheists get a hold of that one, that we say God can do what he wants, they jump on that and say, well, if he can do what he wants, why doesn't he start doing some good stuff for the human beings down here? And the only answer is because he doesn't want to. And then they say, hmm, and you want me to follow him? Right? You see, that's the problem when you insert man's thinking and assign it to God. God has no shadow in him. Did you know that? He could try as hard as he wants to have shadow in him. He has no shadow in him. He is light. Okay? God cannot be tempted. God cannot be tempted. That's what scripture says. Neither does God tempt. That's what scripture says. So God cannot tempt and he can't be tempted. Those are can'ts. A sovereign can tempt people and he can be tempted. It was Calvin inserting that into the language that put us on a hill that caused us to get in debates 
and stand zealously on arguments with people who are pretty damn smart. And they are, they are growing in number and they're able to articulate arguments against a God who can, quote unquote, do anything. We have to stop repeating what men say and repeat what scripture says. I'm not going to cover this one, that, but I will cover the next one, that Jesus is coming back and he's angry and he's going to wipe out the world and he's going to rapture up the Christians who are prepared for him. Uh, Jesus, it's so wrong, it's so off the mark, and it fits into the American evangelicalism, and which is support, which is a pro-Israel stance, which is a very political stance, because if Jesus is coming back, admittedly, if Jesus is coming back, we should be doing a lot of things differently. We should be following the apostolic directives really closely. We should be pro-Israel. We should be doing all sorts of things because he's coming back to take his bride, right? The 144,000 that are, have not defiled themselves with women and the bride that is pure and undefiled. I mean, if Jesus is coming back, we should follow everything he said to the seven churches. We should listen to what the apostles said about widows, about divorce, about uh, every single thing that is said. We should be living that exactly, those 1,050 commandments that are in the New Testament. That's what we should be doing if he's coming back, but we're not doing it at all. And uh, it convicts us just to pretend that he's coming back and we're ready. The problem is, is he came back and he came back at a time when his church, his bride was small enough and protected enough by apostles where it was still pure and he took it. And now we're in the kingdom age and, it's about, and he's not coming back. So when we tell people and when the idiots in evangelicalism put billboards up and give us a date and tell us he's coming back, which has happened thousands of times since uh, 70 AD. Christians, uh, false prophets, false teachers, zealots uh, screaming, he's coming back, this is the year, this is the time. It's an embarrassment, it does nothing for the good news, and it just makes us look stupid again because it is stupid. And Jesus never taught it. You, I know you don't believe me, most of you who are here. I know you won't test it, you won't challenge it, but that's the case. That a person must believe for Jesus' work to apply to them. That's another big one. You've got to believe for Jesus' work to accept you. That God has sacrificed his son to provide a work no one else could do, but it's, it's not going to work for you unless you accept it. I have another way to, to, to offer it to you that Jesus did the work assigned to him by his father, and there's no conditions upon it. It did the job. It got rid of all sin. Done. Clean slate because of his son. I would suggest that's what it is. Refusing to embrace it and let him be Lord of your life and produce fruit in you, that's another subject. That's another show. But I would, I would stop saying that it's incumbent upon people to say, I believe, in order for Jesus and God to have given them unconditional love. That was given. While we were yet sinners, it was given. The belief on that is a separate issue and what it does for you in your life and your relationship with God. But we as Christians got to stop saying, you got to believe on Jesus for what his sacrifice did for you, uh, so that his sacrifice can apply to you. 
so it can apply to you. No, it applies. It applies to everybody. He reconciled the world. Now, what everyone does with that, another story. But again, I think we should stop saying you need to receive this in order to benefit by it. The benefits have been had. That the gospel must go to the whole world before Jesus can come back. There, I, don't have the, I didn't write the scriptures down, but there are three or four where Paul says himself, it's already happened. Not when he was alive. He said it went to the whole world. There's a whole layout that's really beautifully done where the last place Paul is believed to have gone was Spain. That's the last place. And if you look in the Old Testament, that's the furthest out place where uh, the people scattered at one period in time near the Tower of Babel. So when you look at those, the whole world was, as Paul says, the gospel has gone to the whole oikomenia or to the whole gehe, the whole area has received it. Now Jesus come back and take, and that's the, the context. Uh, there was a movie when I was a kid, it was called Torah, Torah, Torah. It was about the bombardment of the Midland Islands, Midway Islands, Torah, Torah, Torah. Well, I would say Sola, 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 Sola is the other thing that we need to stop. You know, the spirit is, is primary. We haven't always had a Bible. We are lucky to have one now. It is a gift, but it's the spirit where God writes upon our hearts and upon our minds, and he tells us how to be his. We can read the word, but it makes us lawyers. It's a great secondary reference. It's a great way to learn how to be Christians, but it does not take, the pre uh, take precedence over the spirit. Uh, that, as Christians, the sins of the flesh should be a focus of the faith. That we walk around and we pick at abortion clinics and we, we uh, legislate against this immorality and we stand against homosexuals and we fight against this and we fight against that and we make Jesus a Republican and we do all these things in Jesus' name. He did not come for that. And when we as Christians have used him as a puppeteer for our pet interests, the good news is lost again. It takes another hit for the world and its, and its people to hate Christianity. And we're seeing that now in a time of politics. You know, it doesn't mean a Christian can't be in politics, but they shouldn't use Jesus as the source of their platform. I'm just saying, we wanna make this good news available to all people all the time, inviting to them, not to the point where if Jesus comes back, they'd kill him again. Uh, that, the finally, that the church, early church fathers were right in their views. I just want to wrap up the show tonight just by telling you this. We had apostles that Jesus called. He said, go into the whole world and share this gospel. And Paul says they did. Okay. This was in preparation for his return, which every one of those apostles who wrote said he's coming back. He's coming back quickly. He's here now. The Antichrist is among us. Jesus said, I'm coming back. Right. So there the whole thing is. Well, I believe that his church, his bride was taken then, and that was it. The whole New Testament was now fully in place where God writes his laws upon our hearts and upon our minds. And there was no need for any more man, women, inserting themselves between the believer and God. No more reason for a church to insert itself between the believer and God. Well, what the churches have done is they have gone back and they've said, but look at our early church fathers. Look at the guys who were post the apostles 
and look at their writings. Look at Ignatius and look at Tertullian and look at this guy and look at that guy. Look what they said. And they said a lot of great stuff, right? They would. I mean, they, they read the scripture. They saw it. They understood. But they also said some really dumb stuff. Paul says when he was walking the earth, things have already started to fall apart. They were falling apart when he was still on the earth. And he wasn't the last apostle to go. So I would suggest to you that the whole material approach to religion started crumbling while the apostles were still here. And that afterward, it fell even worse to the point that by the time Constantine got going and all these guys had all their theories, we have created a Frankenstein faith. And it, it wanders around the earth now, you know, calling out to anything it can try to affect. And it's just what never should have been. Um, there was, my daughter sent me this thing. Uh, there was a Christian artist recently. She was on Ellen DeGeneres' show, who's an open lesbian. And um, this Christian artist is known for her songs. I can't remember her name. And she has taken so much heat from the Christians for going on this lesbian show and singing uh, songs that are beautiful to Christians about her faith and about her love. It's that kind of thing. We're past that. We're not trying to keep a church together for Jesus to come. It's individuals now. And we're not going to reach into that world of the Ellen DeGeneres who needs Jesus too and who God loves as well unless we put all this church plane aside and we individually are Christian and we let his love radiate in our life and we do whatever God made us to do, whether it's secular or whether it's for him or whatever it is, you do what God has meant you to do. And we don't draw these lines anymore. We are never going to have inroads in as long as we become exclusive. We're saved. You're not. We're going to be raptured. You're going to hell. And I know it sounds radical, but every one of these things I'm teaching is fully supported by the scripture in context. Relax in his finished work. Look to him. Live to love. Seek to love. Uh, your sin is not you. Your sin is your flesh. You're always going to have your sin. Every person on this earth is having your sin, has their sin, and it's still there with you. So don't kid yourself. Jesus saved you from it. That's the good news. Don't condemn anybody, anybody on earth. Never let dogma bite your non-Christian neighbor. And Jesus' blood has reconciled this world to the Father. All who die and take their last breath, yes, we're accountable for what we chose to believe and what we chose to receive. But the good news is that he came and did it, did it. We're the recipients of that now, and that should be a joyful thing that we share with everybody around us. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.